0: thanks a lot. Well, uh, tonight is one of those nights that I get to preach a message that I guess uh, I'm not preaching it to um, preach in response to a problem, really, but to uh, maybe preach it as preventative medicine. And so I like those kind of sermons because I'm not saying you're in the wrong here, but I'm saying I think you're doing all right, and uh, let's continue in that and let's grow in that. You know, Paul... Um, says, um, you know, I encourage you to excel still more in your love for one another. And so this is one of those. Hey, I want to encourage you to excel still more. You're doing good, but let's keep going in it. Let's let's keep growing in it. And so I'm excited for us to do that tonight. We're going to continue on in this series that we have uh, started last week. We call it the Devoted Series. And and we get this title from Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It's the very first summary of of the early church, and here's, here's the, the verse. It says this, and, and maybe some of you have ventured already to memorize it uh, with me, and the verse is this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. I missed the fellowship, so I guess I'm not doing that well, right? Apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and, and the prayers, and they were devoted. They were devoted to these things, and so that's where we get this title, is that they were devoted to Jesus, and they were devoted to growing together with each other. They're devoted to Jesus, that's the apostles' teaching. The apostles were constantly proclaiming, Jesus, 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 who you nailed to the cross. He is now alive. He is now victorious. He is our king. And so they devoted themselves to this truth. Jesus is alive and he is God. And then they devoted themselves to growing together. They devoted themselves to to growing in fellowship Uh, And it specifically says via uh, the breaking of bread, having meals together, and prayer, praying together, and obviously devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching recorded for us here in the New Testament. And so this is where we are for uh, just one more week after this, and I think it's a very important message uh, for us to really focus on for for three weeks. And so what's going to happen is next week we conclude this series, and I just want to I uh, implore you, if you missed last week or you know you're not going to be here this week, you're ob- next week, I know you're obviously here this week, but I would, I would just encourage you, uh, be certain to make sure you get all three of those messages. We have them up on the website, we have them up on iTunes, and so just make sure that you get all three of those uh, messages. And then if you want to get extra credit, uh, you can go back and, and listen to the One Another series that we did last spring, very important message pertaining to the church and to church life. As well that one 's extra credit and uh, free of charge for you to listen to, so um, everyone uh, I, I do want to just make sure we all know this. Uh, it was flashing at the very beginning of our of, uh, of our gathering and the announcements, and that is that um, we are going to, in light of this series in light of the one year anniversary, uh, we are actually uh, going to on, on Saturday, November 12th have our very first membership class, and we 're going to do that here also in the upper room, and so uh, I think it's that point in time in the history of our church that that we move forward and call people uh, to really say, hey, I'm in, this is my church, I want to commit to it, and so the way we're going to do it is we're going to hold this membership class where you just get to know us a little better, ask questions, and and hopefully you'll find that you uh, really understand who we are, what we're all about, and so mark that day, Saturday, November 12th, you can register for that online if you go to the website and you go to connect and then go to membership and then you can go and register online for that. And uh, we, would, we would really love to have really everyone come no matter where you're at. If it's you're your, your brand new to this thing and, and you're really just kind of exploring or maybe you're kind of at the place where I, I want to go to the next step and I have questions about how to, how to get there. We want to encourage you to go, and then clearly many of you are already committed. You have been with us for some time now. You have really kind of been through this journey with us, helping us get this thing off of the ground, and so we're super grateful for you guys, Um, but we want to just encourage you, you got to be there too, right? Nobody gets grandfathered in, in the spirit of unity, in the spirit of love. We're all going to go through this um, for, for membership. And uh, the class is always going to be mandatory for membership. And so some of you maybe want to take it now. You're still not 100%. Hey, this is my church. That's totally cool. Take the class now, and then sometime down the road, you've got it under your belt, and you can continue on in the process. And so here's the process. We call it the the three Cs. Uh, The first C is class. So come to the class. The second C is conversation, you can have a conversation, eventually it's going to be with pastors or an elder of the church, right now it's me, right, and so have a conversation at the end of the class, we we'll have the opportunity to sign up and, and we'll have a conversation just to make sure we're all on the same page, you know me, I know you, we're, we're really clear that you're following Jesus faithfully, you're committed. And then the last C is covenant, so class, conversation, and covenant, and then you Covenant with us. Hey, before the Lord and with each other, we're in this thing. We're accountable to each other. We're moving forward um, with um, just membership together. We're on the same team. And so I'm excited about this. I think it's really important uh, that we do this. And I, I hope that last week, this week's message, and the following week, next week, will really help you understand just why it's so important to devote yourself to the church and to uh, the membership of the church. And so why don't we pray? We'll get into this week's message. And uh, we'll get rolling. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you so much, again, for the chance to do this tonight. We never want to take it for granted. God, we never want to just think that it's just another, another day. Every day, every breath is grace from you. And so we're so grateful for that. And I pray that, that, God, tonight that you would really speak to our hearts in a very specific way. That tonight you would give us something that we would go home saying, this is what I need to do. This is what I need to be. Um, and, and so really make that clear for us tonight. And uh, God, we'll, we'll, we'll give you all the glory and the praise for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, Ephesians chapter 4. Grab a Bible, flip open to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be in uh, verses 1 through 16 for the next couple of weeks. Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. As always, you can grab one of the Bibles on the way in. We have some on the, uh, in the seats here, so if you want to pass them around, make sure everybody's got one. Uh, we prefer that you get your eyes on a copy of of the word just kind of gets you in the habit of looking and studying this thing and so do that but of course it's always up on the screen here as well so Ephesians 4 1 through 16 this passage guys is huge this passage is is one of the most important passages on church life in the entire Bible and so this is a big one. This is a really, really an important one. And, and so what we're going to do is we're going to divide this passage up into three sections. Really, we're not going to. Uh, I think God did through Paul. And so here it is, verses 1 through 6. If you're a note taker, that's where we're going to be tonight, verses 1 through 6. And then next week we will be in 7 through 10 and 11 through 16. And so those are really the three sections. And um, we'll uh, start by just reading it in its entirety. So let's read it in its entirety. Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. I, I don't think, uh, you know, in church life we're very used to just sitting down and just reading the scripture and just soaking it in. But I think about, I think about the Apostle Paul when he tells Timothy, hey, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture. And so let's just, let's just read it, all right? So you just, we'll, we'll just take it nice and slow and uh, go through it. Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 16, he says this. He says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord... I'll go fluid through this the rest of the time, but we've got to stop here because this is important. He, he says, this is the second time already in this book that he said, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. So really what he's saying is, listen, I want you to know how serious I am about what I'm about to tell you. I'm in prison, right? And it's not our cush prisons that we have today where they get all the cable channels and, you know, they get to eat like kings. And, no, this is, I'm in a dungeon for the Lord, right? I, I therefore, are a prisoner for the Lord The whole body, joined and held together by every joint which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So that's where we are this week and next week. Very powerful scripture. I'm excited to get into it. Now, here's what Paul has done, as is his practice. Uh, At the very beginning of the letter, chapters 1, 2, and 3, he does this often. He just lays out some real weighty doctrine. He just really kind of gives it heavy. And then he, as is his practice, follows it up in the second half, verses 4, 5, and 6, with life application. Okay, here's the heavy stuff, and here's how you, you live it out. And, and the doctrinal truths that he has laid out in, in, in chapters 1, 2, and 3, man, they're good. Uh, basically, he said this. He said, sin has destroyed us. He says, You, in chapter 2, you are as good as dead. Sin has destroyed us. It has destroyed our lives. It has destroyed our relationship with him. It has destroyed our relationship, therefore, with other people. But God, through Jesus, has reconciled us back to himself and, therefore, back to each other. Because God is a a restorer. And, And so what sin does is it destroys our relationships. That's the weighty truth. Sin destroys our relationships. First of all, the most primary relationship, our relationship with God. Destroyed because of our sin. He made us to be in relationship with him, and we ruined it with our sin. We ruined it with our sin. Started with Adam and Eve, imputed to us, but none of us are none of us are, are innocent as well. We have ruined it with our sin, and therefore we've we've ruined it also, the relationships that He's built us to have with each other sin just puts his wedge in our relationships but what what god does through his son jesus is he restores that relationship with himself and then therefore with each other and so really what the second half chapters four five and six do is it it starts to deal with relationships and it doesn't just deal with relationships like in isolation like some kind of self-help book or psychology practice right it's not just it's not just this here's here's relationships let's get them fixed but it's relationships not in isolation but relationships uh, under really ultimately the reconciling power of God and so some of the relationships this letter will touch on in chapters four five and six. Uh, first and foremost the relationship between God and man it goes on the relationship between husband and And wife, relationships between children and parents, relationships between slaves and their masters, or employees and their wicked, awful employers. Some of you just want to say amen right now, right? Um, But listen, it deals with relationships, but for the purpose of tonight and this series and what we're we're seeking to do, uh, we get to look at this other relationship that it really focuses on here in chapter four, and that is church relationship, Christian to Christian relationship. Our relationship with each other. And as we said last week, our relationship with each other among the church is one of the most powerful examples to the world of the reality of Jesus Christ. Right? We, we talked about how John uh, chapter 17, Jesus is about to go to the cross. He prays his high priestly prayer. It's the prayer that is basically his dying wishes. And he gets on his knees before the Lord and he just prays God. God, I pray that they would be perfectly one, they being you, me, us, the church, I pray that they would be perfectly one so that the world may know that you have sent me. And so our oneness, our unity, is Jesus' primary testimony to the world that he is of God. And our unity really displays the power of God because people look at it and say, nah, that's crazy. And then people also look at it and, and see that, that Jesus is Lord just as he uh, desired and prayed in John chapter 17. And so let's, let's talk about this a little bit. Let's talk about our unity. Let's talk about specifically now that we're in the application portion of the book. Let's focus on really how do we function. And let's get it from this passage. And so verses 1 through 6 is where we are. We'll tonight again get the first of three uh, pieces. And, and hang out here uh, for the remainder of the night. Now remember, first half of the book, Doctrinal Truths, second half of the book helps us live it out. Now, here's kind of how I've, I've heard it illustrated. Uh, imagine, imagine a kingdom. And in the kingdom, a king leaves his palace. He then goes and he mingles among his, his subjects. And while he's mingling among his subjects, he, he sees a, a little boy on the street and he's about to be arrested for stealing. And he he inquires about the boy, he finds out that this little street kid is homeless, he's starving, he's parentless. And and the king, as he's looking upon this kid, he's just so moved with compassion that he says, bring the kid to me. He takes the kid back to his palace, he he gets to know the kid, and he adopts the kid. And so that's kind of how it is here, is that at the moment of adoption of this child, this child immediately becomes royalty but just because he's royalty in standing doesn't mean that he knows how to act royally right and so the kid at the at the dinner table he's royalty now he's adopted he is a son of the king he's at the dinner table and he's just scarfing his food down he's got like my kids all the time just food all over their face hopefully grow out of it by like age 18 I don't know right food all over his face and 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 then you know he he doesn't have proper bathing practices I would imagine and so he's got to be taught that and so he's dirty wakes up in the morning looks at his hair in the mirror and it's like oh that's awesome perfect goes about his day so he's royalty in standing but he doesn't know how to be royalty in terms of his function in terms of his practice and and that's really where we are uh, with this letter is that the church is one the church is unified and paul says but i need to remind you here's what you need to do look at verse one he says this you are one you are unified but i need you to do this walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called and so you have been called we said last week that we are the church we are the ecclesia right we are the called out ones and now paul says i want you to walk like it I want you to live like it. I want you to live like one who has been called. And so, again, for the rest of our time together, let's look at the function. And what we get here uh, in the function is really a pastor's challenge to his church. Uh, From me to you, but also ultimately from from Paul to the church of Ephesus, and then really our chief pastor, our chief shepherd, Jesus, to all of us. And, And Paul was... Uh, the, the, the pastor, founder, church planter, whatever, of the church at Ephesus to whom this letter is being written. You can read about it if you're curious in your own personal study this week. Uh, in Acts chapter 19, Acts chapter 20, Paul for two and a half to maybe three years uh, just pours his life into this group of people. You, you read in Acts chapter 20. He goes back for a little while to visit with them. And as he's back with the people in Ephesus at this new church that he started, it's growing, things are exciting. He he reflects on his time together with them. He says, you know, you know how I taught you publicly, but you also know how I was with you from house to house. We spent so much time together. I poured myself into you. He says, but here's the deal. Acts chapter 20 says, I'm not going to see you ever again. He says, "I, I know because the Spirit testifies to me often that, where I 'm going next, I will be beaten and really just persecuted. and so he says, "So I know that I 'm not going to see you ever again that 's what he tells the the people, and they just weep bitterly because they love him, they admire him, and he loves them and cares deeply for them. and so what we get is this this this, this letter that now he 's written sometime after he 's told them i 'm not going to ever see you again, and now we get this letter, and in this letter. He, he, he says, I want to tell you some things. I just want to make sure you're on track here. I'm never going to see you, but here's a letter. Let's make sure we get it. And So here's what we get from the pastor's heart. We get three challenges to the church. Uh, the second two we get next week. The first one we get tonight. Here, here's the challenge from the pastor. It's very simple. Sync up. Make sure that you are synced up, right? Now remember, uh, verse 1, they had the unity but now they've got to practice it. So now let's look at, look at verse 2. Listen to the words that he wants to describe. He says, I want these things to describe you as a, as a people who follow Jesus. He says, I want humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. We, we just call that biblical forbearance, right? Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. Let's talk about them uh, one by one here. Humility. Right? I, I mean, for humility, tons of passages flood my mind. The one that I just can never get out of my head is Philippians chapter 2, uh, verse 3. He says this. He says, I want you to, in, in humility, count one another as better than yourselves. Okay, that's pretty serious. Better than yourselves, which sounds a lot like what Jesus said, right? In Matthew chapter 22, it's the greatest commandment. He says, love the Lord your God right? with everything, but love your neighbor as yourself. And so, man, if, if I loved you as much as I love myself, if I love your 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 family as much as I love my family. Your kids as much as I love my my kids. Your your financial success as much as I cared for mine. Your 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 extended family, your neighborhood. I mean, if I love these things as much as I love myself, things will be flipped upside down. He says, in humility, care for other people more than yourselves. Uh, how about First Peter five five says, clothe yourselves, clothe yourselves uh, with humility towards one another and so if we're going to put on anything we like to put on a front we like to put on a facade we like to go on Facebook and make ourselves look better than we are he says here's what you should clothe yourselves with you clothe yourselves with humility he says because God opposes the proud so if you're prideful God's against you that's scary and so any root of pride in your heart confess it get rid of it deal with it he says God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble I could go on and on and on and on but can you just imagine if humility was really worked out among us right can you imagine that now next one is, is gentleness uh, now gentleness really doesn't mean that we're weak men some people hear gentleness and you think you know pansy right you think uh Johnny Damon I don't know what you think right but uh we're we're talking uh we're talking gentleness. We're talking about the manner in which we deal with each, with each other. And, and, and so we, we, when we're talking to people, when conflicts arise, we're not harsh, but we're gentle, we're gracious, we're, we're loving. So gentleness among us. Next one is, is patience, that we're, we're patient with, with each other. And so understand that we all have areas of weakness in, in our own spiritual journeys. And so somebody might be struggling with something that you've never struggled with. Somebody might be, uh, you know, tempted by something that you've just never been tempted with. Maybe somebody's got a character flaw that is, is maybe not something that's going on in, in your own heart, but you seek to give grace to them when you observe these things. And, and, and so, for example, if somebody is struggling in the area of pride, you don't just quickly step up and say, stop talking about yourself. Nobody cares. I don't want to hear you talk about yourself anymore, but you... Maybe lovingly talk to them on the side, you know, and just help them through that, right? You don't with, with aggression, but you're, you're patient with them. I want to help them get through this. I want to see them grow in the Lord. Be, be patient. And the next one is bearing with one another in love or forbearance. Now, this is a big one in the church. This is a really huge one in the church. Um, that means that in love... There are differences that we're going to find, and maybe you haven't found them yet, right? Maybe you haven't found it in me yet, but trust me, we're going to find some differences amongst each other, and we choose to bear with each other in those things. And so, especially as we move forward towards church membership, there's going to be things that we find that that we have different views on, right? Things that maybe the, the Bible's not es- explicit on, but... We, we have different views. Maybe for, for some of us it's going to be our views on the outworkings of spiritual gifts as we see them in the scriptures. Maybe it'll be our, our views on, on how God chooses to adopt people. And, and maybe it's our view on some weaker, stronger brother issues as scriptures talk about. Maybe uh, someone says you must abstain 100% from alcohol and another person says doesn't say that in scripture what are you talking about and, and and so there are things that maybe are gray areas that the bible's not explicit on and we have to bear with one another we have to have this thing that we call biblical forbearance uh, other areas i'm just thinking of so many that flood my mind we can go on and on but just to make sure you get this how do you school your your children i, I know people that their conviction is that if you send them to a public school you're sending them in the hands of satan right and, and so maybe that's one thing i you know What do we do tomorrow night? Do you send your kids trick-or-treating? Christians for ages have been like butting heads on them. These are gray areas that the Bible's not explicit over, but we're going to bear with one another. Birth control. I mean, on and on and on we could go, but we will bear with one another because we want to keep the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and its proclamation, our purpose, our goal, our mission, and not just fixing each other in bitter um, infighting and, and, and bickering. And so let these things mark us, Paul says. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. And, and stay in sync with one another. Stay in step, making forward motion together. We need to refuse. We need to be bold to refuse to let any personal preference hurt our synergy as a church for the gospel. Verse 3 goes on and says this, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Be eager, right? Be devoted, it sounds like. It sounds like he's saying be committed to these things. Be zealous for these things. That We will not let anything break our unity. We want to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of, of, of peace. Notice it says um, to maintain unity. It nowhere says that we create unity. Unity is something that we have in the Holy Spirit, God. He unifies us. We maintain it. He has put us all on the same team. He says, you're working together. You're moving forward. I've called you out. You are Christians. You're the team. You're my church, and you maintain it. I've unified you. You maintain it. I I kind of imagine it's like, you know, elementary school, and you're playing a kickball game, and a kid is appointed the captain, and he says, I want you, and you, and you. And then you're like, oh, no, he put her on the team. Please don't put me on that team. I can't even look at that person. And you. And now you're on the same team, and there's issues between you, right? And you're like, well, you know what? We're on the team, and I like to win. And so we're going to win, and we're, we have differences. We're pushing forward. And, and you know, it's kind of like it is with with God. Uh, you know, as, as I pray for you guys, and I pray for you guys almost daily, by name we have a kind of a roster that we're just we make sure we're praying for all of you you might think i'm not praying for you we're praying for you we are and and as i go through i'm like man these people are different not, not different as in weird but different from each other there's there's diversity and, and and that's a that's a good thing god has put us in the game together he has unified us and we got to say all right we want to win our mission we want to stay faithful for the lord we want to win other people to jesus and so though we're different these are people who, maybe some of the people in this room are, generally speaking, not a person that, if it were outside of the church, that you'd even necessarily be hanging out with, not because you don't like them, just because you're different, you're on the same team, and so we've got to maintain that, we've got to work that, we've got to be eager, eager to foster the unity that we have, be firm in your refusal to let that be broken, and so what that kind of looks like is, hey, we never talk about each other behind our backs, Never. If somebody comes to you and says, let me tell you what so-and-so did, I'm not going to entertain that. We don't, we don't even go there. Why do you need to tell me that? Because it really is not going to help the situation. Why don't you just tell that person, right? Don't even entertain it. Be, be firm in your refusal to let our, our unity be broken. In fact, in our membership covenant, we're going to covenant together that we're going to really, in our words even, honor, honor each other. Why? Because we're, we're family. If you're a church, you are, you are a, a family. And we understand that whether it's our unity or it's our disunity, that's what we proclaim to the world Jesus is. And so they'll either want it or they'll either say, that's ridiculous, I don't want that. I see what's good in that and they don't even want it. And so we need to, to be firm in the refusal to see our unity be broken and be eager to maintain the, the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Um, verse 4 says this, it says there is one body and one spirit, one body and one spirit. Now here's what we're going to do, let's read verses 4, 5, and 6 and I want to I read it again and I want you just to note mentally how many times he says one, it's kind of shocking, it sounds like Paul's up to something, it sounds like he's a third grade teacher and he's trying to just get it in your heads, alright, verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And that's where we end tonight in our our passage. Now, it says one a lot. I think he's trying to say, I want you to be one. (laughs) I think he's trying to say, I want you to be unified. Now, here's a practice that Paul does, just kind of a teaching point on the side Here's something that Paul does a lot in his his writings. He he gives lists a lot. In fact, we just went through a list just a few verses prior, right? He gives lists of things for the church often. And some of the lists are lists that we need to say, okay, yes, let me focus in on that word, and then that word, and then that word, and then that word, and they're all very different. And then other lists... Kind of like this one, our list where it's not so much that we need to really rip apart each word and the theology of the word, but, but what Paul's doing in a list like this is he's just saying repetition, repetition. It's not that everything's necessarily drastically different. Just I'm trying to get it in your head. You need to be one, be one, be unified together. And notice that, that Paul uses at the very beginning what we do need to look at. One body, one spirit, he uses the most popular metaphor for the church, and that is the church is a body right you 've heard many different metaphors for the for the church you 've heard uh, the church is a people like we 're like a nation people, and, and God, Jesus is our king the, the church is a flock, and Jesus is the the chief shepherd, the, the, the church is to be built up, is being built up into a spiritual house and Jesus is the foundation or the cornerstone. You've heard the, the church is like a, a marriage and, and, and we are the bride and he is the groom. You've heard uh, the, the, the church is like a family and God is our, our father. You've heard these, but here we get, we are a body. And we get later in, in some of the other verses on, we, we see that Jesus is the head of the body, right? Right. Um, and so let, let's think about this a little bit. One body, one spirit, and we're a body. Now, this, this is also seen, uh, maybe even more popular than uh, this text in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So why don't we flip over there, we'll do the same thing we did earlier. Let's just read it uh, in its entirety. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 26. This is a very uh, important verse for us to get, but it's so plain and so temp- simple that I probably don't even need to preach it. just need to read it, and, and you can hear it and get it. So 1 Corinthians twelve, twelve through 26, he says this. He says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, And we're all made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I did not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I did not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Be encouraged by that. Some of you feel like you're not. A vital part of the kingdom of God. You are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, right? He says the one who sits at the far end of the table is going to be the one who's with me in the kingdom. Take the child who nobody else values. He, he's, he's, he brings them right by his side. This is our, our Jesus, greater honor. And our together it's good stuff it's good stuff it's where we get that word that word membership we are all different members of the body yet we are we are equal and we are essential now back to Ephesians chapter 4 the body one body that we share has been made alive by what notice this this is good it's been made alive by the spirit and so the Holy Spirit is what, you know, really animates our, our body as a church. Think back to creation. Here's the image, right? God takes Adam from the, the dust of the ground. He takes dust and he, he forms the man, Adam. But Adam is just a, a lifeless body until God does what? God, he breathes into the man the, the breath of life. And, and what it's saying here in Ephesians 4.4 4 is that that's essentially what the Holy Spirit does. We are one body, but we have this one spirit that breathes into us life and animates us. And we just be just another organization full of diversity if it weren't for the spirit who enlivens us and, and sinks us up and causes us to, to work together. And so by God's spirit, the unity is there, but we've just got to start to work it out, guys. We've just got to start to work it out by doing the things that he's told us to do, by being patient, by being forbearing by being humble, by loving each other and all these things. It kind of reminds me of the, the the butterfly stroke. You're like, where is, he, where is he going with this one? You know the butterfly stroke? Um, I, I, I stink at it. And I, I remember as a kid and even up just a few years ago, it popped in my head again, oh yeah, there's this thing called the butterfly stroke. And I, I remember trying it in, in the swimming pool um, at my in-law's house and just for a couple minutes I try the butterfly stroke and I I just can't do it I mean just absolutely fail at it and there's something about it just so awkward isn't it I mean, you swim like this but you get the butterfly stroke and you put your legs together and you kick like flipper like a you know like a dolphin and then your arms do this thing right and it's just so awkward and it's just so unnatural because everything that we're accustomed to you know says one hand before the other right when you're running or when you're you know your legs are, are going one before the other even when you're walking right but this is saying no hands together feet to, it's just so awkward for me i just can't i can't seem to make it happen and and everything that that we do everything within inside of us says no do this right no just do this right don't do this it's so strange and you know kind of that that's, that's kind of how it is with with the church it's it's unnatural for us who are diverse in so many different ways, it's not natural for us to, to, to work together, right? It requires a little bit of, of work and, and effort to, to work together. And, and, you know, what's easy and natural for us is just to kind of drift back into isolation and just kind of be like people who are, you know, just like you. Just hang with those people, right? It's, that's what's natural for us. We call that the homogenous principle. Churches are built upon the homogenous principle. By the way, people who are doing what we're doing and starting a church, many of them say we're just going to go with the homogenous principle. We're just going to attract people like us. And so what I would do is I would say there's this style of music that I like. We're always going to do that. There's there's this there's this uh, you know I'm, I'm young and family and 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 you know so I'm going to go for the like the 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 Caucasian young family. That's that's what we're trying to do, right? That's the homogenous principle. We say no. We want to be diverse. We're in. Rosendale, for crying out loud, which is known to be the most ethnically diverse neighborhood in all of Boston. We're here on purpose because we want to look like the kingdom of heaven looks, Or people who are diverse are worshiping the Lord in, in one voice together. And, and so it, maybe for, for us it's unnatural. It goes against psychology and the homogenous principle that people who are like each other drift together. My, my goodness, just go into any high school, right? That's how it works, right? And, and yet we want to be against the grain. We want to do something that is unnatural, but something that can happen in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the butterfly stroke for me is hard and seems impossible because I want to do this, but I'm trying to do this. Here's what it looks like for some of you. College students, I love you. You know I love you. Uh, but it's easy to spend four years, four years of college with only college students. It's easy... If you're going to do anything Christian, just to be in a campus ministry, right? And just hang out with college students and you just kind of isolate yourself from older people and, and people who are, are younger than you. But I believe that it is spiritually essential that college students would be with people who are older than them and younger than them. That's why Titus 2, given to Titus from the Apostle Paul for his church, says that the church needs to be about this, older women teaching younger women in godliness and, and the practical things that they are called to do. And so you need this. You might be uncomfortable. You want to just drift towards your own people, people who are like you, but you got to fight against this. But I won't just pick on I mean, college students. I'll pick on people in my shoes. It's most natural for young marrieds with children to hang out with young marrieds with children and talk about kids and talk about, is your kid potty trained? Yeah, mine is. No, mine isn't. And it's, it's, just, we, it's easy, right? It's just your life. It's what you do, Right? And so we gravitate towards one another, but yet we have to fight uh, against this, right? I mean, you, you think about it, I mean, it just keeps going on and on. I mean, eventually, every church that I've ever known in my entire life will have, when they grow up as a church, will have a seniors' ministry because seniors want to hang out with who? Seniors, right? I mean, it's just kind of how it, it works, right? But, but, man, I think how much better would it be if instead of saying, hey, let's go hang out in, in the hall together, seniors, Let's do this. Let's take the seniors and hook them up with younger people so that they can dispense some of their wisdom, right? And I promise you, they'll, you know, get a little juice going. And they'll be enlivened. And then the, the younger people will glean their, their wisdom. It's, it's how it's supposed to be. And, of course, I pick on college students often. But, you know, I, I do it because I know they can take it, first of all. But I also pick on college students because historically, here's, here's what I see. I'll, I'll do it again. It's it's historically not the college student's fault, in my experience. Uh, In in church life, I I think it is actually typically on the older people. It's actually, I think, often the older, the wiser. Let's not necessarily say just seniors, but some of you, we're all older than somebody in the room, most of us, right? And and I think it's on us who should be investing in college students or people who are younger than us. And, And I think for many... Older people, it's that socially awkward, you know, it's insecurity. They don't want to talk to me. I don't even have a Facebook account. How could I possibly relate to them? I don't know what in the heck a tweet is, right? How could I ever talk to them, right? But but listen, they need you. And based on my experience, if you actually go out of your comfort element for a minute and start to talk to them, they they, they want it. But what happens so often is, as we grow up, and again, preventative medicine here, right, as we grow up, what, what so often happens is when the kids go out of the house, suddenly couples feel like I'm free, <laughs> and so now I can go and I can see the world, and, and, and what happens is as the freedom comes, they become increasingly actually less committed to the body of Christ, and it's kind of flip of what a lot of people think. They think, well, I'm so busy, my kids, I can't go to church. But what I've seen is they become oftentimes less committed to the the body of of Christ. And you know what? I think churches need is more of Titus 2. We need older people who are radically committed to the younger people. I've got some time. I'm going to be radically committed to the younger people. I want to train them. I want to help them. I want to care for them. And what I've seen is the younger people want it. So it's not on them as much as it's on, I'll say, us for the purpose of this this church. right? Everyone needs somebody that they can be pouring into. And I think everybody needs somebody that they can go to to pour into them. So there's this discipleship, mentorship model going on and invest in them. What that looks like, I think, is invite somebody over for dinner. What I think that looks like is invite somebody out to coffee, engage somebody. Rather than bouncing from 20 different people when this is over, just talk to somebody, just get to know them, care for, for them, and love on them. Another thing I've seen is um, when people have children like where we're at right now, I, 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 you know, I think what we tend to do is we tend to say I can have no ministry for the next 18 years of my life because I have kids now. And the Bible does say, listen, it's your primary ministry, is to your family, but you don't put everything else on hold. In, in fact, I, I think it it uh, is, is not good for your family, and uh, it's not, certainly not good for the church. Life is too short just to say no ministry for, for 18 years because I, I need to lead my family. I need to lead them. But listen, be creative. How can you be the primary focus on your family, and how can you minister to them but also minister in the context of the, the church? Some people feel like nobody wants to come to my house, <laughs> not with my kids, not with my life. It's crazy. Nobody wants to come over t- for dinner. Uh, with me but they do last night becky and i had a really cool couple over to our house and uh newly engaged and uh we laughed it was almost comical how we just every time we'd almost get to something deep and meaningful somebody have to go change a poopy diaper right we'd almost get to something deep and meaningful and i have to go wrestle two little boys and pull them off of each other right who were like wrestling in the dust cloud you know what i mean and 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 man you know i it was crazy but can i say that my hope is that the, the, the couple would, would have, you know, maybe learned from us a valuable lesson. Don't have kids, right? No. <laughs> I, I would hope that what they would learn is as they're exposed to that, they would see, okay, here's what parenting looks like. Because when we're young and single and in the city, we don't see a lot of kids. Becky and I, when we go from this area and go right a little more downtown near colleges, it's amazing how many people are like, kids are so cute. But if I walk through West Roxbury or Roslynville, nobody cares about our kids because everybody has kids, right? You, you get isolated from children and we get to say, hey, be with us. Have dinner with us. Be reminded of what's valuable. Be reminded of what you're working towards, right? And we, we, we value these things. We put the kids to bed. We had a great conversation about married life and it's a, it's a good thing. And, and can I just give a little side note for, for us in, in the room? A little side note is, not Becky and I, but you know, if you would engage and invest in those younger people, even when you have kids, and we all are kind of moving towards that, I think eventually many of us, um, on, the, on the flip side of that, single people, college students, I promise you that the, the people that you're hanging out with who have kids, I promise you, they need a break. <laughs> they need a break, and I promise you, most of them in this neck of the world can't afford a sitter. They can't. Let's just do some math for a minute. Can we do some math? Here's, here's the math. Go on a four-hour date. I've got a few kids. Four hours. Let's do an hourly, you know, projection here. You're going to be paying a minimum, minimum, cheap babysitter here, $50 for a four-hour date. if You have a few kids. That's crazy, right? And then you go on and now you want to take your spouse out to dinner. You want to go somewhere other than Burger King? And so it's going to cost maybe $50 if you do a tip and everything, right? You park downtown, that's $25, right? You want to buy your flowers? I don't even throw that into the equation, right? $125 we're already at right now to have a date with a spouse. It's crazy. We can't afford that. It's, it's impossible. And I'm not recruiting for myself here. We're actually all set. So if you're thinking, oh, let me go, I'm not trying to, don't bless me in that way. God has given us some help, and we're so grateful. He's given us two ladies that love to to serve us in that way. But, man, do that as a ministry for somebody in the church. You have no idea. You might just be saving a marriage by babysitting. No lie. So it's an incredible opportunity. You have no idea how huge that is. And, And here's the cool thing is that the younger ladies who maybe do that, or guys for that matter, you get to practice motherhood, right? You get to practice, and don't practice on my kids, do it on somebody else's, they're back there. But uh, <laughs> practice on, I'm just kidding. Practice. You get to practice motherhood. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing, and, 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 and it's the most important job you'll ever have, right, is to be a mom, and so practice that. It's, it's a wonderful thing. And I just pray, I just pray that it becomes a part of our culture as a church, this babysitting thing right and this couples with kids and singles and married will invite people who are younger over to our house and we start to say we're different but we're unified this is who we are we're the church right we're the we're the church i say guys guys you need to do this too you can babysit right i would I, i dream about the day that we go upstairs and there's kids all running up there and there's guys in the classes. I mean, I think that would be the coolest thing ever. We visited my brother in Chicago at this little church, kind of like us, a little new church that he's going to. We put our boys into this kids' class. And as we dropped the kids off, there were two guys. And I'm a little uncomfortable. I'm like, guys? I'm so used to women with my kids. And we went to pick up the kids and say, how was class? It was the coolest class ever. We had Tom. He wrestled with us. He told us about Jesus. He thought it was the coolest thing ever. And I mean, it's just in, in, incredible. And so, guys, you're going to be the pastor of your home someday, right? And, guys, you're called in Ephesians 5 to wash your wife with the water of the word, with the word. And so, listen. You need to practice and practice on some kids, right? Hone that skill. Some of you are going to grow up to be pastors, teachers, elders, and you get to practice that on kids. You maybe practice that up at the Washington Beach Complex where we do stuff with the children there. My, my dream for our church, because I think it's God's dream for our church, is that we would be diverse, that we would be intergenerational in how we are, are unified. And as our church grows in number, um, we're going to fight against the propensity to be age segregated in everything that we do. If you look at most churches, as they grow larger, there becomes demands for very focused ministries, doesn't there? I understand the need for children's ministry. I understand the need for youth ministry. I understand the need for college ministry. But it seems like it never stops. You go from college ministry to singles ministry. You go from singles ministry to new marrieds ministry. You go in most churches, you have the young marrieds with kids ministry. You just go on and on. You get all the way up to the, sing, the, the seniors ministry. It's just segregation, segregation. How does Titus chapter, chapter 2 work? It just, it just never stops, right? And so we need to really grow in our intergenerational focus as, as a church. And people will see that and they'll say, that's something special. They'll be talking to you and say, yeah, I'm going on a date. Where'd you get your babysitter? Well, this from church. Free, actually. What? Are you serious? And they get saved the next day because they want a date that Friday night. You know what I'm talking about? That's how it goes, right? So listen, we're going to be not united just in our standing only. We want to be united as a church in our, our practice. People don't give a rip about our theology until they see our practice. So as Jesus prays and in John chapter seventeen that I pray that they would be one so that the world would see. The world's gonna see us, they're gonna see our unity, and then they're gonna say, Okay, what's, where's that come from? So they see our practice, then they move into our theology and, and we begin to live lives that, that turn turns heads. We also want to be not just intergenerational a family, like we see in Titus's church, but we also want to be socioeconomically diverse I'm not going to go big into this but let me just say look at the church of Philippi you have this wealthy lady named Lydia she's a seller of purple so she's loaded because that was big time back then right she hosts the house uh, or the church in her house so she had a pretty big place Um, and so she was financially doing all right. mixed into their church was the jailer and his family and just a middle class Guy, the church grows. I'm sure it grows in its diversity, socioeconomically. Right? You look at the church in Jerusalem, Acts chapter four. There's or Acts chapter six. There's 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 widows and and orphans. Acts chapter two and four. There's there's people who are landowners, wealthy, to those who are 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 financially destitute. Right? And so you see that uh, economically. Diverse. You also see ethnically diverse, the church in Jerusalem, if you think back to um, Acts chapter 6, you have the Hellenists and you have the Hebrews. So you have those who are, are speaking Greek and those who their language is Aramaic and yet they're together somehow diverse but together in, in the body of, of Christ. And man, this is just a beautiful thing because this is what heaven is going to look like. People are different but they're, they're together. You know, Philippians chapter 2 It says every knee should bow and every tongue confess. That's not every tongue like every person with their mouth confesses, but every tongue means language. Every language will be represented in heaven. We'll all confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We're going to be diverse, but we're going to be worshiping the Lord. Let's go back and we'll close with this. Back to my my backstroke, my butterfly stroke actually. You remember that? So fun. So awful. I look awful. I'm glad nobody's ever seen that happen, but Never got it down. I I'd try so hard for like two minutes. So that's, I guess that's not really all that hard, right? I just, it was awful. And I I'd try, couldn't get the members of my body to do something so unnatural. And I would just sink. Now I was hoping that the illustration would go such that I could just tell you. And I worked at it so hard. And bam, praise God, I did it. And church, you can do it. Work at the... The unity and you'll have it. All the members will work in sync. But I think my story with the butterfly stroke is really every, many, many churches' story too when it comes to, to unity is that you know, I find myself you know, trying it and I'm like, I look really foolish now. I'm in a public pool and I'm doing this thing and I'll just give up, right? And, and maybe that's where I think a lot of churches end up. It's, like, it's kind of laughable. Like that. Yeah, it's impossible. This kind of unity, Acts chapter 2 no way. There's no way that could happen. They so cared for each other that they would sell land that they had to meet somebody else's need. That would never, ever happen. Maybe I'm just dumb, but I think I'm dumb enough to believe that, that when God calls us to do something, He, by the power of His Spirit, is going to equip us to, to do it. And I really believe, Charles River Church, that we're going to see that. And I really believe that we're, we're seeing that. I mean, just a year ago, none of you knew each other And yet here we are together talking about the Lord and we'll dismiss and mingle together. It's a a beautiful, beautiful thing. I really believe that we're going to see and we are seeing Christ fulfill his declaration that I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I believe that. And so we need to be, verse 2 of Ephesians 4, we need to be eager, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and bond of peace that we have. We need to foster it. We need to preserve it. We need to protect it. We need to be eager in these things. And um, we need to, 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 to press forward in the bond of peace. Now think about what peace is. Peace is the absence of conflict, isn't it? The absence of, of conflict or a state of reconciliation, as I look it up in a, a definition online, state of reconciliation. Second Corinthians chapter five or 16. It so says that as Christians, we have the ministry of reconciliation. So let's kind of put all that together here. That, that as Christians, we, as we share our faith with other people, we are engaging in the ministry of reconciling people back to their broken relationship with God. And when we do that, what we're also doing is we're reconciling people to each other. Because as they're reconciled back to God through faith in Jesus... They're now a part of his family, and they're adopted into his family. And so as they're reconciled to him, now they're reconciled to brothers and sisters, and they become a part of the, the family of God. And so we're given this ministry of reconciliation. And so I, I just close by, by challenging you with the, the call tonight that Christians, we need to be eager to maintain it, to preserve it, to foster it, to go forward in the ministry of reconciliation, bringing about peace the people can be a part of the family so that Acts chapter 2 at the end there it says that day by day people are being added to their number and they're engaging in this reconciled family. It's a beautiful thing. And so I pray that we would be that. And I pray for those of you who don't know Jesus that you would be reconciled back to God that maybe even right now you're, you're, you're sensing that stirring in your heart, that restlessness in your heart. And that's the Holy Spirit. He's, he's causing you to be restless and he's he's causing you to see that hey you are like the child on the streets that you're as good as dead in your sin but the king comes he mingles among you that's jesus he becomes a man right and in his compassion for you he brings you in and adopts you into his family if you would only trust him and what he's done and recognize your need for him and so wherever you're at i pray that you would leave tonight with just a a stirring and a call I either need to be reconciled back to God or I need to be about this ministry of reconciliation. I need to be about maintaining this this unity that God has given us and working towards it and fostering it. So let's pray.